0: Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. This uh, particular episode, we've got a catchy title too. Um, we're we're going to give our editor, Pheasants Forever editor, credit for the title. Uh, cows and Quail, Grazing for Game Birds. And the, the guy who t- uh, coined that title is sitting right next to me, Tom Carpenter. Serving as co host, and I'm gonna lean on you heavy
1: Okay, today. well, I'm, I'm ready to be the sidekick. Uh, we sort of cooked this, uh, so to speak, we cooked this up, and we have just the two guys in town to help us uh, talk through it. But I don't know that I, I'm the Pheasants Forever editor, but I'm a quail guy too, and um, I'm also a prairie chicken guy. And I've shot uh, and I've hunted a lot of those birds on land that's Managed for cows, grazing land, pasture. And it's sort of funny, I grew up in dairy country. So I, I'm used to Holsteins and Guernseys and Ayrshire's and small hill country pastures in Wisconsin. And uh, when I discovered what a western pasture really was and the game birds out there, um, that was an eye opener for me. But uh, so anyway, that's sort of my story while, why I'm the sidekick. And um, uh lot of great game bird habitat happens and grazed in, in pasture land and uh, we got the guys to talk about what PF and QF are doing.
0: Well we, we do we have uh, a voice that folks <laughs> recognize because he's been on a couple of times now he's a, a de facto sidekick as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, another guy with with uh, Wisconsin roots so there, there's um, there's cows automatically associated. Yeah I know. Tim no. Corrin our director of uh uh, quail forever joins us.
2: Thanks, Bob. It's good to be back. This is about the third time I've done this in as many months. I'm getting used to it and I like it. But uh I started out, you know, up in Wisconsin as a habitat specialist for the organization back in O three and um if you're gonna work up there, live up there, um you're gonna learn about cows just through osmosis because that's uh kind of the cow capital, dairy capital of the world.
0: And they even named it beer after cows in, in oh,
2: wisconsin yeah. and it's the, damn good it beer, it is right? real good spotted yeah. cow, <laughs> nucleus brewery that's it's, it's a from special my, place
1: it's from my home country yeah. so i
0: sort of claim it
1: there you go you do yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is <laughs>
0: I, I always pegged you for, like, a Schlitz guy. So. <laughs> well, when we did that spot, how I was. <laughs> I tell you what I really was, was old style.
1: There you go. Out of lacrosse. There you go. G. Heileman. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, enough beer commercials. <laughs> we are looking for a sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Lining kugels, we're yeah, talking yeah, to you. That's there well, you right. That's right.
0: Uh, honey Weiss. Um, and making his inaugural on the Wing podcast debut the guy that really knows something about grazing, oh boy. quail <laughs> cattle Chris McClelland who also happens to be the 2018 2019 uh, uh-huh. most valuable employee in an organization of 400 employees yeah. congratulations you got you you've been on for i think 2 years and just kicking tail uh-huh. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. That's a hell of an honor.
3: Yeah. I, You know, I, I said it day I I was recognized. that. I, typically, I'm not short-winded, and I had nothing to say. I mean, that's a humbling and, and one of the coolest moments of my life, and I really appreciate it. It was awesome. It was well, awesome. that's why we
1: did it. We knew it was one way to keep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, you're going to be <laughs> – Excuse me, uh, you're going to be our our featured guest because not only are you the most valuable employee of the year, not only are you a biologist, but you also happen to be a cattle rancher.
3: Right, uh, you could say that. Yep, that's that's true. Is that is that too far <laughs> of a stretch? <laughs> no, you know, I'm just sitting you here. You own some, right? I do, I do. I, I I've got a I've got a small piece of property in in North Missouri, and we've got uh, we've got a small herd and and i was just chuckling cuz in my head you know i cover such a big territory that to think of my little spread as a ranch is <laughs> is kind of funny but uh but yeah no it's uh you know being around cattle has been something that um i've done my whole life and just you know you growing up in north missouri where i'm from um in missouri being a major cattle state uh it's just been it's just been a way of life it's mm-hmm. just something that it's always been there and um I enjoy it. My my kids love messing with the cattle. Um, it's just it's just something I'm passionate about, just like wildlife management. So,
0: so I'm not going to pull any punches. I am a real rube
2: <laughs> when it comes to sure. to, to cattle
0: and, and, and ranching. So, sure, um, I'm not going to even try to fake it. So, I I, I wouldn't have um, suspected Missouri as being one of the top cattle yeah Um, states in the country
3: you bet yeah it is it's um you know so you 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 think about it in in a lot of different contexts but you know there's a number of states across the country that you know they raise cattle let's say in Texas Mm -hmm. and then um you know because of seasonality and forage availability and they're just trying to put weight on you know their cattle they'll move them Mm -hmm. you know you think about um, all the way back to the days of cattle drives, you know that was the reason they were doing that is they yeah. were moving they were moving cattle to a different part of the plains to you know for better forage and so mm-hmm. Missouri is uh, one of those states where a lot of uh, just like Kansas um, and other midwest states you know this is a this is a, an area that you know we take in a lot of cattle at various times of the year and then they they leave and hmm. so it's um, it, it's an interesting dynamic you get to meet a lot of different Producers from all over the place, and uh, you know, cattle, cattle ranching, cattle production is, um, at its simplest form, is is pretty straightforward. But what I'm learning and is there's there's just so much science to it hmm. nowadays. Um, so you always learn something new. Yeah, you know.
0: Uh, well, let's let's I want to establish as much of your credibility as possible, <laughs> <Okay>. just because <laughs> sure. you know it, it's going to be odd for some folks to come to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever podcast and hear us talking about the connection with cattle. Sure. Right? Yeah. But your background growing up um, in, in the cattle business, right, as a kid. Sure. And then moving to a biology degree, going to work as a private lands biologist, yeah. and now coming to work for us. Walk us through your entire kind of career trajectory. Sure. And then we'll come back and connect the dots between cattle, cows and quail
3: you bet you bet so um from north central missouri little town little town called macon um about a whole hour and a half just straight south of the iowa line and uh grew up there it's a real it's a rural community agriculture is honestly agriculture and hunting is the uh th- hmm. that's those are the economic drivers of that community there's two major reservoirs there uh, so outdoor recreation is just that's what that community is founded on so when you say hunting
0: are you talking about waterfall
3: I'm talking about everything really upland game birds okay. waterfowl white-tailed deer turkeys um it everybody says this about where they're from mm-hmm. but it was just a blessing to to grow up there um just so much to do outside and uh so that's uh, that's where I'm from um my my dad uh, worked for works, still works for John Deere, has for almost 40 years. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, right there, uh, locally. Um, what and, part of John Deere? Uh, believe it or not, he started out as a mechanic and, um, and just local implement dealer there. Um, and he went back to school and is their IT manager. No kidding. Yep. Wow. You know, so he, he handles a lot of the I, uh, IT work for, um, several of the, the dealerships there in, in north central Missouri. Oh, and, wow. yeah. So, um, yeah, so just growing up there, agriculture was part of our family. Uh, my grandfather had a had a farm just south of town, and we had cattle there and um, grew up around it. All my friends did as well, and it was just something that uh, um, I was always passionate about. So you'd feed cows, you'd go hunting. You'd get done going hunting, you'd move cows. Like, it was just one and the same. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I went to went to University of Missouri, go Mizzou, uh, <laughs> and uh, got a degree in fisheries and wildlife sciences, I am a Packers fan. Well, uh, that was coming because <laughs> if you follow you on,
0: tw- on oh, yeah. Twitter, oh, yeah. what's your Twitter handle again?
3: Uh, farming for
0: Wildlife. Farming for Wildlife. And yeah. don't expect to see Farming and don't expect to see Wildlife. <laughs> if you see Chris on Twitter, expect to see Packers yeah, that's right. coverage. That's right.
3: That's right. Go Pack Go. Uh,
0: why are you a Packers fan?
3: Uh, it's a long uh, it's a long story if you really want outnumbered if you if you want the so this is actually funny because it's actually fitting because it ties into the topic so if you want the honest truth uh one of my best friends in the world went to graduate school at k-state in kansas and um manhattan yep and and
0: and your son (laughs) your son went to kansas
3: and i don't know if you know this or not but kansas is an amazing state to go chase critters around too and so um, so we went out, uh, one spring, his first spring there, and went turkey hunting and, uh, we're hitting some of the WMAs and, and, uh, just scouting around and, uh, we find some birds and, uh, I won't give too many secrets away, but long story short, met this incredible family and they were able to, uh, let us go chase some critters around and they had some strong ties to the Green Bay Packers and, hmm. and, uh, started kind of taking, taking note at that point and just fell in love with the team and been a, Hmm. Major fan ever since. Got to go to Lambeau for the first time last year. Got a December game. Got the full experience. Snow, everything. Uh, it was unbelievable. We are going again. Hmm. Going to try to catch the Bears All game right. this go around. So,
2: you know, last time I was on this podcast, I made a prediction that the Blues, St. Louis Blues hockey team, was going to beat the Bruins. And I'm going to make another one right now and tell you the Bears are going to beat the Packers when you go. To the field <laughs> this year.
3: We're going together. So we're yeah gonna, <laughs> you know, we're going we're going to see how this goes, but. But long story short, yeah, I went to the University of Missouri, got a degree in fisheries and wildlife science, um, and uh, went to work for the State Wildlife Agency, Missouri Department of Conservation, and uh, worked with them for about 13 years. And uh, a good chunk of that time was as a private lands biologist. So a lot like our farm bill biologists are in a USDA office. Mm-hmm. I was, too, working on the exact same programs. Um, and uh, the part of the state that I was in was uh, was heavy cattle production and Mm. so I spent a lot of my time working with producers on practices and programs for wildlife that involved cattle so um, just kind of fortuitous it happened that way but so that they just kept it up front and center for me yeah and you know and as you go along the career path there uh, I went from being a field biologist to they called it programs biologist so I was uh, helping design programs and practices um and cattle cattle so production state programs state yeah, state program Missouri department yeah, of conservation yep yeah, but also i was a liaison with uh, natural resources conservation service so i had the ability to pr- provide some input or some suggestions on state levels hmm. practice standards that um involve wildlife management and and again cattle kept kind of finding their way in there and and uh yeah about two and a half years ago um Got the opportunity to come here. We, uh, I was with the state agency when the Farm Bill Biologist Program came to Missouri, um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I, Missouri Department of Conservation is an amazing organization. I love them to death, um, and and it was the hardest decision hmm. to to that I've ever made to leave there. But um, but this was just a great opportunity to to just expand what I think I've learned while I've been in Missouri and try to, you know, see if we can take it to on a bigger, on a bigger scale. And so, so I've been here two and a half years and, um, and all along the way, what I've learned is that uh, cattle are probably one of the best management tools out there for early successional habitat for, for grassland birds, not just quail and pheasants, but lots of species. Hmm. So, so
0: and so I want to dive into that because, as you know in the very beginning, carp talked about you know n- whether you're hunting sharptails, whether you're hunting quail, whether you're hunting pheasants, if chickens, prairie yep. chickens. Um, you know I can think very uh, distinctly about the first time I ever went to the Fort Pier Grasslands in South Dakota and where I would find cattle had recently grazed a piece of that grassland uh, just as a as a note i'm not hunting in the cattle folks <laughs> right you know i'm i'm, yeah. I'm obviously being they're res- gone yeah they're they're gone i'm being respectful of you know the the livestock but say they're in the next field over but they had been recently grazing that's where you found the sharptails where they where yep. they recently were Yep. um I, you know i and i'm not a biologist so tell me i could connect the dots sure but i don't know exactly why that's the case why were the birds using the recently grazed yeah. fields
3: so i have to keep things really simple for myself in order to understand it and so i i always look at it like like this so you know uh, a grassland bird just knows what the they need yep you know they they don't really understand what's going on necessarily on the landscape they're just following the resources that are available and uh and in that part of the world well all across the upper midwest and the plains um if you think about the historical landscape and what that looked like what was it it, it was fire
0: mm-hmm.
3: and it was grazing pressure yeah. by, bison and and
0: yeah bison
3: yeah right historically yeah and so Um, fire would come through and it would be grazed upon by these massive you know massive animals that are working up the land they're they're, they were herd animals so there's a lot of pressure in these very small area well not necessarily small but very focused areas Mm -hmm. and you just get this unbelievable amount of succession that happens so what results in that you get diversity in the in the herbaceous cover so you get, tend to have, you know, higher diversity in those areas. You tend to have, you know, easier mobility mm-hmm. for, for, for the birds. For the birds. Yeah. And then you have uh, <coughs> a lot more insects that are more readily available. So it's just better habitat hmm. it, because it's been disturbed. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, to be honest with you, it's the exact same scenario that we think about when we talk about, you know, fire and, and strip disking in a lot of ways i mean there's a lot of similarities to that yeah. even though those two are you just wouldn't compare the two hmm. it's the same result so you're finding those birds in that air in those areas because of the disturbance that those you know that's been put on it um
1: I think they, a lot of the prairie birds just like to see, too. I mean, they, mm-hmm. that's where they glom to, especially like sharptails and chickens. They want to see if it's been grazed, they've got
3: more visibility. Absolutely. That's where they like to be. Well, think about the, um, we talk a lot about edge habitat, mm-hmm. you know, and that's important. Well, there can be lots of edges. So mm-hmm. that transition between what's grazed and what is not, they can be out here. They can be doing their thing. They can see they see a predator, they can jump into cover like that. It's yep. it's the same concepts that we talk about when we talk about you know, early successional management.
0: So so is there a law of diminishing returns when it comes to grazing? Like yeah, I know they want to see, but we also don't want a pool table.
1: Right?
3: Right? Yeah. So
0: so how how do you know when those those cattle have achieved the goal?
2: Sure. Yeah, I got a I got an answer for that. I went out to North Dakota one time. We were hunting sharptails, and it was the first time I'd really gone out and targeted sharptails. When the season opened, it was in September, and I would drive around the countryside, all this public land, looking at all these different fields, and for three days, I was passing up fields that had been grazed that looked too thin. Mm-hmm. I literally thought, like, well, there's no way. And it was just, it was new to me as a, as a hunter looking at habitat, you know, and a bird I didn't often chase, and... I drive all these fields, and I think that's that's not that's not right it's not it's not thick enough there's not enough cover there and After three days, I'd shot like two birds I was just getting it handed to me out on the prairie and we had some uh there were a group of us out there and um the the local guy that worked for us came stopped by to see how we were doing about the fourth day and um
0: this still got this person still worked for us. No, no.
2: Okay, and um, I believe it was Jesse Becker's at the okay. time. Short <laughs> force out there. Jesse's a good guy. Still yep. good friends. And I remember he went out with me. He said, "He said, well, I'll take you out." And he pulls up to the first field. He pulls up to is one of the ones I'd passed like five times in three days. You know, and I was like, "Well, this is too, too thin for the sharp tails." You know, and he's like, "Oh, this is exactly what they mm. like." And we went in there, and I, we flushed, like, 50 birds. And we shot three apiece, and I felt so stupid because I'd driven by the best habitat for three days in a row. Sure. But then after going back a couple times, like, just by trial and error and looking at, like, you learn in a hurry exactly gotcha. what that density is that mm-hmm. they like. And if I had any advice, <laughs> I'd say start out in the stuff that's thinner than you think they ought to be in and work your way up from there. So
0: I, I hear exactly what you're com- where you're coming from. And I'm wondering, like, sharptails and chickens, okay. It generally, I've been proven wrong that it is thinner than you need. Yeah. Quail, maybe one st- notch, a little bit more, and then pheasants, a fair bit more. Am I right or am I wrong from a biological that's, perspective? That's
2: pretty accurate. I yeah. Know.
3: It it I mean it kind of depends in a way. It, mm. it, it it you know. So back to your question about how do you how, how do, do you know? know? Yeah. So thinking about it from a producer's well, well, shouldn't say that, thinking about it from my point of view as a producer. So you want to as a producer rancher. Correct. Right? Cattle yes. guy. cattle guy. Okay. I'm looking at um so you're you're thinking you're thinking about well, first it would be important to establish too that landscapes are different as far as uh cattle goes. So consider in Missouri where I'm from we're we're used to pastures paddocks mm-hmm. fenced off area here we're going to move cows from pasture A to pasture B and we have infrastructure that allows us to do that almost that's almost always the case you further What do you w- mean infrastructure fences, fences. cross okay, fences gotcha. things like that thank you either permanent or we're running hot wire, electric fence that we can take down put back up.
0: You're moving <laughs> – <coughs> yep. excuse me, moving the cattle around and yep. take advantage of the yep. yep.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so you get further west and in the southwest, you know, um, bigger landscapes, mm-hmm. um, not so much uh, – not as much infrastructure, and the cattle are kind of going where they go uh, based on where the f- the forage is. However, the one thing that always is constant is you don't want to put – too much pressure on the forage that you have. Mm -hmm. So, so you're always looking at vegetation height because you want to know how much, because that's food. Those, that's, that's pounds on your animal Mm -hmm. out there. And, uh, a lot of different grass cover can give you, can allow you flexibility on how much you, how much pressure you place on those acres versus others. Rangeland, you have to be really careful to not overgraze it. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly paying attention to that. Um, you know, versus some other areas where you can pound it and it'll respond relatively quickly, and um, you know, so it's. Th- I guess that's kind of how you look at it, as far as how you know mm-hmm. when when to move them or where to go. It's it's related height to the height of the vegetation, of the vegetation. Yep.
0: geography where you're located. Yep, yep,
3: mm-hmm. and um, you know, from a wildlife standpoint, we always recommend making your moves based on that. You know, pounds mm-hmm. of herbaceous cover or forage available you just never want to wipe it all out and as a result you provide cover for for wildlife and grass and birds
0: does diversity of grass and forbs um, affect how fast your cattle put weight on
3: it can it, it it can so it you know it's um when you think about grazing natives native grazing mm-hmm. um, and we'll just talk about let's say focus on you know, the central Midwest, you're, you're looking at, um, palatability versus tons per acre. So typically you're looking at, you know, spring and, and, and fall and summer grazing. And so you're trying to kind of figure out, uh, your best approach for, um, your forage quality and putting on your pounds. Um, diversity can help with that. Hmm. Um, but it it's not necessarily something that you 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 plan for. It doesn't hurt, okay. You know, so but from um, but that is one of the interesting challenges for uh, a producer to consider when you're looking at natives is you're really keying in on the grass because mm-hmm. that's that's the big that's the big thing. And we you know your typical uh, native grass seeding is going to have for cattle grazing is going to have you know big blue Indian uh either switch or little blue in it and then uh, typically a legume and three to upwards of 10 species of, of forbs. Hmm. Um which is exactly
0: what we want for our birch.
3: Yep, yep, it is. And um and depending upon how well the the grazing pressure is managed mm-hmm. will reflect in how many species actually able to to show resiliency out there and, and express themselves. So hmm. um what about so, you, when
0: you talk about natives, you're talking about plants. Mm-hmm. Um, what about, you know, brome and fescue? You know, we know it's not ideal from a bird perspective.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What about from a cattle perspective?
3: Well, it's it's produced a heck of a lot of forage for a heck of a lot of cows. There's there's mm-hmm. no question. And and in fact, you know, um, the reason why we have those grasses is predominantly because they establish quickly Mm -hmm. and they can withstand an immense amount of grazing pressure. So, Mm. um, historically, you know, native prairie was, um, converted into these cool season grasses because of what they can provide for, um, for cattle grazing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, from a wildlife habitat standpoint, you know, they're not as ideal, Mm -hmm. you know? And so what we, what we try to do when we're talking to, um, you know, a, a cattle producer that's providing us with an opportunity to, you know, step foot on the property and provide some technical advice, which we never take that for granted. You know, mm-hmm. that's not, that's a great opportunity. Um, we're looking at kind of a blending of the, of the two. Hmm. So again, fall back to Missouri right now. What we're really looking at is, okay, carp, you've got a, you've got a farm and you're grazing, you know, you've got a cow calf operation and you've got, you know, 200 acres of, 300 acres of fescue out there, let's say. Right now, we want to make sure that you have forage throughout the entire growing season. Natives are warm season grasses, fescue is a cool season grass. So we're going to try to find a perfect blend for you to where you have optimal grazing and forage quality all throughout the year. And cool season is going to be included in that right right, mm-hmm. out, of the, right out of the gate um, because there's things that, there's challenges with getting warm seasons established for grazing for a producer so for example it typically can take a couple years for native grass to establish some producers you know the challenge there is well i need those acres mm-hmm. you know just to, to feed the family so you got to get creative on how you do that but but right now it's um, we're, we're seeing a heck of a lot of lift with including native grasses as part of a producer's grazing rotation which can include cool season so my
0: assumption though is even if it's a uh brome for instance Mm -hmm. cool season um we know that there's some nesting benefits for game birds to having that in the mix
3: Mm -hmm. there yeah there there is there is it it it, uh again it kind of all falls back to to the management and what we do know is you're going to have more opportunity for more nests if you have you know natives included as part of your your system and it's being managed you know in a a good fashion to provide that so
0: kind of the moral of the story and this comes up virtually in every podcast it's diversity Uh right if you got to see a brome on a waterfall production area right Mm -hmm. that's not really that good for anything sure right yep Yep. but if you can have a mix of you know maybe there's a little brome out there for early season nesting you got some natives you got forbs you got legumes then you're starting to get a recipe that makes some sense
3: Yep. and it all starts with the landowner's objectives Mm -hmm. you know what what do you know what what are they trying to accomplish, and how can we best um, put habitat on the ground and, and hit those goals at the same time? And you know, with a producer, you know that it has you know cattle operation, it's a process, you know, because it's uh, most of the time they can't just set aside the, those acres. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, you can really build something pretty special with uh, you know rotational grazing and the inclusion of natives, and have amazing diversity at the same time. So.
0: And I I mentioned WPAs earlier, you know, and I talked about um, national grasslands earlier. And it seems to me like the feds on their federal lands employ grazing as a management tool more than states. Mm. Um, Is that an accurate uh, perception or is that, you know, really state by state it's a little different?
3: It's state by state, but I would say that a number of the state agencies, at least in the region that I cover, um, definitely have grazing as part of haying and grazing as Mm -hmm. part of their, their management, um, leans, you know, from a wildlife standpoint, you're, you're always going to lean heavier towards the grazing. Mm -hmm. So that's what they, that's what they try to do. Um, and, uh, but there's a number of WMAs that, that do it. Um, and, uh, you know, grazing, you know, their native, their native pastures, like, and even some, um, you know, reconstructions too. So,
0: Hmm. When you compare grazing disking strip disking and um, uh, prescribed fire mm-hmm. what what sort of, uh, do they all accomplish the identical same habitat goal or are there strengths weaknesses or simply differences between them
3: there there's differences between them they're they're not exactly achieving the same it depends on how you define that you know they're Successional management—you're just wanting disturbance, and they accomplish that in different ways. Um, but the results can be can be can be similar. They're all beneficial, um, but I would say that you know it—the the bang for your buck—if you have cattle, you know, available to you, or you're a cattle producer—is—is is, uh, if you want habitat and you want wildlife on your property, let's take a look at how you're utilizing utilizing your herd and let's start there because uh you know that's as you know that's a bunch of little little engines out there running for you that's putting a heck of a lot of habitat on the ground if provided if, mm-hmm. if deployed in the right way mm-hmm. um and, and personally i love the mosaic you get um from there's nothing better to me than the look of a native stand that's been burnt and had the just the right amount of grazing pressure put on it the result is just it's something that's probably as close to what I can em- envision the native prairie looking like hmm. it's really special and some of the uh some of the i've i've seen i've seen four wildflower species and stands that have been burnt and grazed uh i've I just never seen any place else hmm. you know so it's a, just an interesting interface there and and uh so I always lean that way
0: you you talked a little bit about um it, it rota- rotational <coughs> grazing you mm-hmm. didn't call it that but you, you know you, the moving the cattle around yeah. to different pieces of the field um how often do you graze a piece of property during a growing season
3: yeah it's it's all relative it's it it's all it comes back to geography it, it thing, comes right? back to geography Moisture. geography where are you in the world yeah what are what's your resources available what are you grazing um you know, how many, uh, what's your goals? You know, are you, are you cow, calf operation? Are you, you got stalkers Are you background, you know, things like that. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, how many tons per acre, how many, how many head do you have? Mm. You know, a lot of that is, um, a lot of that is though, that's all information you have to take into account. And, uh, and it changes depending upon the landscape. Mm. So our, so our biologist in Texas, you know, Will Newman, Derek Wiley, Ty Higginbotham, Jordan Mingy, they do a heck of a lot of range management. So they're working 90% of the time with with folks who have cattle. And they calculate all of these variables that Hmm. we're talking about. And at the end of it, the producer gets a grazing management plan that lays it all out there on how many tons of forage they have. How many head or pounds per acre mm. they can apply, and for how long, and where they have to go to maximize their forage, put the most pounds on their animals as they can, and maximize the habitat.
1: We've talked a lot about um, you know benefits for cattle for sure. the, for the producer. I mean that's important. That's that's part of the equation here. Benefits for game birds. We're all interested in that. The people listening, us at the table. You know, another angle that I'm always interested in, and I want to hear your take, is um, this is land, grazed land is not put under the, it's not plowed. Mm -hmm. It's in, there's nothing wrong with plowing the right land. Um, But this has, to me, has special potential. Mm Mm-hmm. For water quality and other factors, um, things important to all of us. W- tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, to me, that seems one of the he- biggest benefits to this.
3: Yeah. So, you know, when you look at when you look at prairie and you look at rangeland, you know, the the resiliency of those landscapes when they've been disturbed, you know, their ability to in, to to take in water, um, you know, minimize runoff, pure clean water it's, uh, it's, it's high. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's just an immense amount of benefit that come with that when, when done correctly. And, um, you know, and I think it's probably a story we, we don't tell that, that often. Um, you know, because if you think about it, um, you know, again, look at Missouri as an example, you know, the vast majority of that landscapes, um, you know, was, was prairie. And, Think about what we know about soil health and and uh, and cover crops and water infiltration. Um, if you look at a if you look at a, uh, a pasture that's you know grazed mm-hmm. to the nub, you get a rain event like what we've been having down there. You can get a heck of a lot of runoff. Mm-hmm. If you have a um, if you have a uh, you know a little bit heavier grass cover there, not only do you have better habitat for birds. But you're you're capturing that water. It's going in the ground, and uh, you know you're you're replenishing aquifers and the whole the whole nine yards. And that goes up exponentially when you're talking about native, you know, rangeland and uh, native um, native prairie. So it's uh,
1: well, it, and a lot of that is root structure exactly. Yeah, I learned a lot of that from some of my friends out in South Dakota about yeah. the depth the of the roots and 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 also the horizontal spread too. You
3: you, you bet. It goes right in and goes right right down and you know you look at i mean we've all seen the diagrams i mean native native prairie plants have just unbelievable root depth and root structure and and so with a little bit of grass cover and the right species in the mix that rain's hitting the the grass going right in Hmm. so you
0: you know we talked early on about you know being the most valuable employee in the organization but i don't think (laughs) I mentioned your your job title, which oh, is yep. you're the regional director for the South Region within yep. the organization, which includes the states of Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana. That's Did I it. miss any? You got them. Okay, you got <laughs> And and you mentioned. Just a moment ago, how wet it's been. Yeah, you know, particularly folks have seen <coughs> Nebraska. I think every single waterway in the state of Nebraska yeah. flooded this um, springtime. Give us an update on, in terms of just what what's what's the habitat like across your region right now, based on yeah. how bad the flooding's been.
3: Yeah, and Tim's going to jump in here too because this is impacting him. But you know, yeah. first off, you know, hats hats and hearts go out to the, to everybody impacted by it. Cause it's devastating hmm. right now. You know, Nebraska, um, was the, you know, was epicenter ground zero early this spring. Um, I, you know, you look at the Niagara and I mean, just, it's devastating hmm. and lives greatly impacted. And, um, you know, talking about cattle to just a quick plug, you know, our, our amazing team up there, uh, you know, like, like we do we're all family especially in rural communities you rally around that cause and tried to to generate some some dollars to go into reestablishing grazing native grazing lands for these producers who just lost everything so um you know we value that and realize how important that is and and uh you know so just hats off and hearts mm-hmm. go out to them but um you know right now you know, right now it's it's challenging mm-hmm. To say, to say the least.
2: It is, you know. Uh, me and Chris flew out of St. Louis a couple of days ago. I live about a half hour north of there on the Illinois side, and we got off the ground the plane. They circled around over the river, and it's been raining so much this year, and it hasn't really let up. That uh, the Mississippi River was still. We flew over the confluence there the Mississippi River there's probably about before it hits the confluence and they meet up, there's about a five mile wide strip of land there probably between the two rivers. And it was all flowing as one. Mm. I mean, it was a good three to five miles out of its banks on both sides of the river still. And we're almost to July. Yeah. Yeah. So,
3: so from a, from a habitat standpoint right now, um, low lying areas, Mm -hmm. not good. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, uh, that being said, you know if we've had a lot of rain in the central part of the country all spring and we all know what what that can mean for for reproduction and mm-hmm. especially for chicks early on so i haven't seen any preliminary data yet from a lot of the state agencies on uh, you know their population estimates but you got to expect that we probably probably going to take a hit probably going to take a hit but on the flip side you know tim and i were talking about this earlier yeah. On the positive is where we have habitat and in up in higher elevations. Mm-hmm. It's looking really, really good if there's been management there. Mm-hmm. So that's a positive. Um, our brood rearing habitat in a lot of these states is is probably going to be pretty good um, as long as it's out of the low lying area. And um, you know we've got an opportunity to, as long as we don't have a repeat next year, mm-hmm. you know have, mm-hmm. hopefully have some pretty good habitat next year but it's it's challenging right now
2: we were talking about you know even the low-lying areas that are underwater you know there's a lot of refuge land and a lot of just a lot of low-lying areas around the river especially that are underwater um things we've seen in the past is unfortunately in the midwest we've had 200 year floods in the last 10 years and Mm -hmm. and things we saw back in 08 were that um you know the year after a flood like this after that ground's been stripped of vegetation just been underwater for too long um, the following year, like the early successional habitat that takes in, takes off out of that bare ground is amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. just the the diversity of weeds and seeds and everything that settles there after the water goes down that sprout is um uh, a little bit of a silver lining. I sure. mean, it's it's unfortunate that it's being stripped of vegetation and opportunity for nesting cover right now, but if it doesn't happen two years in a row, next year could be really great. Yeah, and
3: yeah, you know, just to add to that too is kind of the double whammy this year is. We did have all the way up the upper Midwest, as everybody here knows, a lot of snow, mm-hmm. and so you had a lot of lodged over nesting cover, and right. and you know, and then rolling into it. But you know, there's there's still a lot of good habitat out there. I think it's yeah. it's going to take a hit, but you know, we've got a lot of good habitat on the landscape, so still well, still optimistic.
0: Well, as you said, our thoughts and prayers to the the folks and, and members out there that it have suffered as a result of it. Um, it does connect to, you know, a lot of hunters are familiar, you know, if they hunt C R P um they're familiar with the term emergency hanging and grazing. Yep. And my assumption is it has been awfully wet in the states that you're talking about. So it's only a matter of time before that phrase emergency hanging and grazing will become a prominent phrase in our, um, circles again Mm -hmm. for this, this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that means, emergency hanging grazing.
3: You you bet. So, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, the ability to, when, um, environmental conditions are challenging like they are now, and honestly, most of the time when this is relevant is related to drought, Mm -hmm. not flooding, but, you're, you're exactly y- right
0: because if you think back to, oh, 2014 ish, right. We had really bad drought, and states like Nebraska had emergency
3: hay and grazing yeah. because of the drought. Yep, yep. But it's it's uh, what it is is it's it's a provision that allows for grazing and haying to occur on on CRP, which um, you know very different uh, CRP practices um, where typically it wouldn't would not be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that really, we get involved heavily with that. We get uh, uh, engaged at the local level and, and are working with those landowners who are um, asking for that allowance uh, to basically help get them their plan and, and uh, get them the recommendations that they need because there's several things to, that they need to consider when they do that. But, but that's what it is. It's uh, the ability for, honestly, CRP to come to the rescue in um, this time for for producers mm-hmm. and uh personally um some like i had mentioned before um well i'll tell you a story 2012 we all remember the drought there mm-hmm. um emergency haying and grazing was came in on er, came on early yep. and was in play and um and uh, so i was in missouri at the time working for the state and we we worked through a number of uh, applications and producers and uh, got got it all rolled out and uh later in the summer went and looked at some of these crp fields that were just grazed and uh then looked at them again the following year and the habitat was unbelievable hmm. it was exactly what they needed mm-hmm. because at the time it was probably we grow grass really well in the midwest get a lot of rain grow it well too well in fact and um and so this was exactly what those stands needed, and, and stands that uh, had kind of become a one or two, maybe three species grass-dominated stand were back to a lot of diversity, and the birds were there. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's uh, it can be a really good thing, and, you know, it's just another example of a, of a farm bill program that we love that can be very beneficial all the way around producers as well. So.
0: Yeah, it comes back to balance again, right? Because if you do too much of it, and it wipe, it, where, where hunters get frustrated, they show up, their favorite mm-hmm. piece of public ground or CRP walk-in ground, uh, you know, opening day in October, and it's a pool table, sure, right? Then yeah. it's like, son of a gun, why do they have this emergency hand grazing? But conversely, just like you say, if you come back to that same piece of ground next spring, that you know it's going to be wildlife haven yeah because it does exactly what you talked about earlier it it reinvigorates that stand of grass with um, a whole bunch
3: more diversity insects follow birds follow it's it's the long game yeah you know and it's 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 easy i'm like that i'm the description you just gave that's me every fall at Mm -hmm. some point i show up someplace and i'm like dog gone it you know i was We, we tore them up here last year and, you know, man, you know, there's been some management decision made that it doesn't appear as though it's as good, but the next year and the year after that, and the year after that, you know, we have to, you have to reset the clock at some point if you want to keep the habitat producing at its highest level. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about working lands, you know, that's been very, Mm. very apparent in the last few years to me. Um, that's what we've been practicing a lo- for a long time, and and, and cattle producers and are, are a huge part of that. So think about CRP and emergency haying and grazing. That is a working lands program. So what better way to reset the clock on that than to, you know, throw some cows on there and you know help help producers out in a tough tough time and and uh, yeah.
0: it, it it
3: leads me to think uh, a carpism right now uh
0: you, you like that um, boy. well with with most hunting you know uh turkey hunting deer hunting there's a high value placed on scouting mm-hmm. but is. um you know uh, it, it, one of the maybe the only shortcoming of bird hunters <laughs> 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 is yeah. generally speaking um bird hunters aren't sort of habitual about <clears throat> scouting but carp, you've always been an advocate for, even from a bird, chickens, sharp tails, pheasants, quail, like check your spot. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes well, it's three states away. But right, it, isn't it's it's, it's so
1: true, and and I th- and and I also have a little. A circuit of folks in all the places I go and I use them (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, you know I like I love to get out Um, I'll go out to South Dakota in August just to see what's going on now things might change between then for you know in pheasant country between when I go and when I come back but I'll have a pretty good idea but places I can't go I'll get on the phone and I'll call somebody what's going on at XYZ and uh, it it makes a, it makes a huge difference, and it it might save you from pulling up to a billiard table. <laughs> yeah. You know
0: that's that's an awesome point because we think about you know knocking on the doors of landowners, and then you know it, it, tried and true, send them a thank you card and a gift, right? At, yep. Yeah. Well, the same holds true with saving yourself on scouting yeah. yeah right create that circuit of folks that in those <sighs> communities that you can call yep. Say, say hey, on your way home can you just drive by and see what that looks like and, and uh, send them a box of peanuts uh, at the end of I'm the well, day right i hate I'll to
2: let, let my secret out here but i've found over the years that uh the best friends they have in those western states are the mail carriers i knew what you're gonna say <laughs> i mean i'm telling you right now i met a yeah. mail carrier in north dakota and a real sweet lady and she would she rented houses to hunters Hmm. And and it and it just it was like the perfect formula for for great bird hunting because here was hmm. this lady that that just had you know, had common houses and good home cooked food and then she ran the rural routes every day and she knew exactly <laughs> where to send you if she wanted you to have a good day or not.
0: This segment of On the Wing brought, <laughs> the podcast brought to you by the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> I, I will say
2: I
3: will say you know the the thing about all pro- producers in general and it's something that um, I admire and have a lot of passion for is that, you know, their life is being out there every day. Mm -hmm. You're never going to find a better resource. Um, just, you know, as a biologist, when you're looking at, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I get, I'm a private lands biologist. I get placed in these two counties. I didn't grow up there. I don't have any historical knowledge and I'm trying to provide recommendations I I talk to the local mm. producers. You know they can tell you. Um, you know, honestly, the way things used to be, mm. and and uh, and it's uh, they're great resources, and they know they know what's going on out there. Yeah. And so, you know, mail carriers number one, producers one yeah. A. So
2: <laughs> yeah, barbers too. Yeah. Everybody tells the barber what they <laughs> what they saw in the yeah. morning when they come get their haircut. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. So it, so the next thing I'm thinking about is equip um and, and well explain equip mm-hmm. cuz i for one just hate acronyms <laughs> you bet um and what wh- how that plays into hanging and grazing
3: you bet uh, environmental quality incentives program it's a program of the the farm bill um it is think of think of it this way so we're all f- probably familiar with there's multiple programs under the farm bill mm-hmm. there's equip crp easement programs, stewardship programs. Equip is the fix it program. So if you have a, you have a resource concern or an issue on your property, equip is where you go to find a practice to help fix it. And so, um, typically our involvement as it relates to, with to cattle producers is, it's a uh, forge and grazing plans and, uh, helping them establish infrastructure, um, cross fencing, alternative water, um, things that are going to make, allow them to graze their property more efficiently, more effectively and provide higher quality habitat, hmm. uh, for, uh, for wildlife. And so, um, it's an unbelievable program for that. Uh, there's a, in every state that I'm I'm involved in, the Equip program is uh, is a leader on uh, just providing that assistance to landowners and especially cattle producers. And uh, we use it a lot and uh, and uh, help a lot of uh, cattle men and women out with with Equip. So
0: if you're uh, listening to this podcast and maybe you're a producer, maybe you're a hobby farmer, maybe you're a hunter that knows a whole bunch of ranchers, um, getting that. A landowner, that rancher connected to a Pheasants Forever, a Quail Forever farm bill biologist to talk about EQIP, Environmental Quality Incentives Program. Uh, And that's a tool that can help a landowner diversify the type of habitat that's on that that pasture on that ranch. And the birds 100% will respond.
3: We love fat cows, and we want to help the producer have a lot of them.
0: We love fat quail, too. We love fat. They fly slower. Yeah,
3: we love fat quail, too. That's right. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. (laughs) We need to beef up those quail. That's right. (laughs)
1: Quadruple them, I'd say. Yep, yep. We like (laughs) like. (laughs) the
0: steroid-era quail. There you go. Uh, The last program that I wanted to talk about is a real innovative program, connecting um bee friendly beef
3: yeah yeah so bird friendly
0: actually bird friendly yeah
3: yep so um conservation ranching or uh audubon conservation ranching acr uh as it it can be uh sometimes called is uh is a really really cool program um that our friends over there have uh have had going on for uh, several years um i've had some intimate knowledge with it because of again throw them back to my roots in Missouri, Missouri was one of the pilot states for this. Um, but what it essentially is, is a, uh, a market-based incentive program for producers who are, uh, kind of embracing a lot of things we talked about today. Um, you know, grazing and, and, um, and managing their pasture lands in a way that is, uh, maximizing grassland bird habitat. Um, and, uh, so there's, a uh, there's a certification that comes with this and so kind of skipping the, through a few steps there but once the the beef is sold it goes to the market if this producer is involved with that program and has checked all the boxes and is managing sustainably hmm. and providing a heck of a lot of bird habitat they get a seal on their on the package and it's certified bird friendly beef hmm. and uh it's uh the market is growing for that we're um we're excited to be involved in it uh, Missouri, Oklahoma, Kansas. Um, we're, we're, uh, engaging with, uh, the director of conservation ranching in those States and just kind of getting that pony out of the stable just now. But, you know, in my mind, it's a, it's a great opportunity to really help, um, a producer that's interested in, in grass fed, grass finished mm-hmm. beef products. And, uh, and get them connected with the right people to get them into the market that they need to be in, but then also help get them the technical assistance they need to put a heck of a lot of bird habitat on the ground. So, um, so yeah, we're, it's, it's up and rolling. Um, uh, Chris Wilson with Audubon is who we've been working with. He's fantastic. We actually grew up in the same hometown. He has the same hometown as me, hmm. which is.
0: Did he grow up as a cattle rancher too? I kid? don't.
3: I don't think so. Huh. I don't think so. I'd have to ask him that. He probably wouldn't admit it if he if he was. But <laughs> are you
0: wearing, Oh, you are wearing cowboy Absolutely. boots.
3: You're legit. Absolutely. There is. There's no other footwear but you're not wearing
0: a cowboy hat no Mm -hmm. i can't
3: i you know after seeing sam lowry in a cowboy hat Mm -hmm. our previous western director i just don't know if i could pull it off as well as him so why why even try but no audubon is a audubon conservation ranching is a really innovative program that uh we're excited to be part of Mm -hmm. and looking forward to continuing on with so
0: well as we uh as we wrap up i want to kind of go around the horn and, and, and get some closing thoughts. But, you know, anytime, you know, for my closing thought, anytime we start thinking about cows and wildlife, I, I think back to a guy we worked with for a number of years, Ben Bigalki. Oh, yeah. Um, ben was our regional biologist for the state of South Dakota for a number of years, and I think he worked for the Wyoming Um, maybe NRCS now.
2: Uh, Demon Fish, I believe.
0: Just (coughs) a great guy, probably the best darn shot I've ever seen.
2: Um, (laughs) He did a lot of practice. Yeah, (laughs)
0: he he was a very good hunter and incredible shot. Don't tell anybody I told him that. (laughs) But um, just uh, he always, um, from a South Dakota perspective, always connected the dots in his presentations. And just uh, whenever we'd hunt together, he'd connect cows, to pheasant habitat, quality pheasant habitat. And it was exactly, Chris, what you discussed early on here is just it's that it, it's a tool to create early successional habitat, create e- edges, re-energize the, the natives, mm-hmm. get those legumes, the f- uh, the forbs. So it's not a monoculture. Anytime we look at anything that's a monoculture and it's just not ma- being maximized as a habitat for wildlife yeah. and if we can find that balance again right between what's good for the farmer what's good for the rancher what's good for the hunter
3: it's good for the bird it's good for the herd that's <laughs> there you go yeah. i don't know who came up with that i wish i did but I, I i didn't but i love that i love that phrase you know so i think benjamin franklin did it. yeah we'll <laughs> go with we'll go with that we'll go with that carp what what do what you
0: what's your closing thoughts on uh cows and quail since you coined the term for this podcast
1: well i'll tell a story because i like to tell little stories but it 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 relates back to what 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 tim talked about about this is too thin (laughs) this cover in north dakota (laughs) (laughs) last year in kansas i was chicken hunting the early chicken season and i was with chad love quail forever editor he was introducing me to uh to the smoky hills of kansas Mm -hmm. and the joys of doing that hunting and um You learn as you go. I mean, even a day and a half, two days into the hunt, I was like, you start to learn. And we we pulled up to a spot, and it wasn't, God dang it, look at this billiard table. It was, God dang, pheasants. We need some cows. <laughs> it was thick. It was tall. It was yeah. to our shoulders. And I'm like, get get me out of here. <laughs> and, you know, but wh- while I'm mentally making a note in the other corner of my brain, <laughs> I'm like, pheasant season, and pheasant season. You'll be season. back there in November. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And, you know, in the next, I can't remember if it was the next day or the, the day after, but we're at a different spot, walk in, grazed country. I was coming up through uh, a couple spots, and, you know, we hit a grazed spot, and, and like, yeah, this is pretty good. Saw a bird on the edge to a little less grazed spot. Went up in there, was going up a spur ridge up to the top of a ridge, and it was knee-high grass. It had probably been grazed, I don't know, at some point that year. But it was just beautiful. And, and I've told this story before. My little pup, she locked up on point. Is it another meadowlark, maybe another quail? I came face-to-face. Face. She was with a prairie chicken. Hmm. And somehow I got it. It mm. was it was four times bigger than a quail. So I actually got, <laughs> I actually got it. And we're yep. sitting up there on this ridge in Kansas. You can see for miles and miles. Yep. We're holding this prairie chicken. The autumn wildflowers are blooming. It's it's like the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And all I can think was, thanks rancher, thanks cows, yep, mm-hmm. yep, for this,
3: absolutely. And
0: Thanks grasshoppers for patting <laughs> <Yeah. And laughs> it right. yep. Another
1: another carp is in my scalp, but I also check crops, and that's exactly Grass- <laughs> grasshoppers. <laughs> grasshoppers, <laughs> and and I still don't know what the forbs were. There were some little leaves in there. So there's my
2: geeky geeky there you side. Go. That's of a, a day. good story. That's a great story. Yeah. I,
1: thanks cows.
2: I don't even want to try to follow that up, but the one comment I will make is that. Um, you know, over the years I've been finding some of the best bird habitat has been the stuff that's been grazed. And the thing that excites me the most about just healthy grazing management is that it's producing these birds as a byproduct, uh, the way they're managing yep. the land. It's not that they're directly trying to make more birds. It's that they're they're still able to make a living off the land and produce the birds as a byproduct. And yep. that's not uh, always possible with grain crops and things like that yeah, nowadays. Yeah. And um, it's exciting to see ground that's being worked and still producing the yep. things that we love. Yep.
0: And with the uh, final word, the MVP, the uh, LeBron James. Man. Oh man! Hey, man. Now let's you... see. Well, who would be the Brett? The Brett Favre.
3: Oh my oh, gosh! That Good is great. that is some high praise right there. I tell you what. I heard. It, I saw on Instagram he might be coming back. <laughs> 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 to what? I, third, yeah. third yeah. string, third no string kidding. backup. So and, uh, how, how do you feel
0: when he league. became a Viking? Oh, oh. you know what? <laughs> Another you know podcast it, it right was there.
3: yeah I don't know if we got enough time no. but it was it was good it was good i I enjoyed watching him and, you know he he said uh I might be messing this up, but I swear I watched an interview with him when he was playing for uh for the Vikings and he said you know that was my that's when I knew i was I was done is uh, I took a shot. Ground was frozen. Head hit the back of the my hit the back of my head. I just got up. I walked to the bench. I went inside, took a shower, got a couple chili dogs. <laughs> said I was done. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. I was good. But you know, I on the uh, you know on this note for me is you know, Tim kind of said it. Carp, you've touched on it too. Uh, if we're going to be successful in wildlife conservation as a whole, it's going to be it's going to be with working lands. It's going to be with, with producers. And, uh, and we love them and we need them. And, uh, the, the thing that, uh, is near and dear to me, um, you know, cattle, cattle production, farming and ranching is, uh, is so important for wildlife habitat. And there is a great way of combining the two. Mm. And, uh, there's nothing more rewarding than knowing, uh, you're helping a producer, strengthen their bottom line and and help them be more efficient efficient and effective and you're creating some amazing habitat at the same time that is why we do what we do um because if if they're happy in all facets of their operation chances are it's going to continue on and uh you know and and there's just something magical about that and so you know like you said thank you ranchers Thank you, cows. I'll second that. That's the next bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go,
1: we'll go back and get the graphic. To work <laughs> on right. that. There you
0: go. Yep. What's good for the bird is good, for, good the, for the herd. Good for the herd. Yeah. Uh, if folks listening want to learn more about, uh, uh, like we mentioned, equip uh, farm bill programs, or even um, you know talk to Chris a little bit about ranching. Sure. Folks can email you
3: at c mcleland, which is spelled M-C-L-E-L-A-N-D as in dog, at quailforever.org. It's not as bad as Tim's email address, but it's close. (laughs) And if folks want to talk to
0: Tim about uh, everything we got going on with quail all over the country, it's T-Corin,
2: which is C-A-U-G-H-R-A-N. At quailforever.org. A couple of Irishmen sitting here, I think. Yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you got a, a story idea for our editor, yeah, he, you actually have to use it, the, his first name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which Bob doesn't know. <laughs> what, what Tim, right? No, Tom. <laughs> I'm j- just kidding. T. Carpenter. Yep. At T- pheasantsforever.org.
1: Yeah, it's in your magazine. It's in your pheasants magazine. Or if you're a coil guy, T-C-A-R-P-E-N-T-E-R. At pheasantsforever.org. And I think it'll come to quailforever.org
0: too. Yep, it, it will. will. It will. Um, but it, you have to. And I have a Quail Forever shirt on you today. Do. You do. You Better. Uh, uh, but you do have to address the note to Cart. Cart. Otherwise, he won't open it. Too <laughs> yeah. formal for Yeah. Yep. I won't recognize it. Yep. I don't know my own name half the time. <laughs> uh, folks, thank you very much for listening to this episode Cows and Quail Grazing for Game Birds. Um, This has been Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. Please give us a review, um, and uh, we look forward to talking back at you down the road. I'm Bob St. Pierre, and if you are not yet a member, PheasantsForever.org or QuailForever.org, we need you, we want you, and the birds need you too. Thanks for listening.